promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How many of you memorized that psalm as a child? Psalm 23. How many of you have a, a, a piece of artwork at home with that on it? Maybe a t-shirt? Coffee mug? Psalm 23? No? No, you don't have the picture at home of Jesus with the sheep on his shoulders? with the. No? Okay, good. You're not cliche Christians. That makes me happy. Uh, William Davison, a Scottish professor in 1905, wrote, The meaning and helpfulness of this perfect little psalm can never be exhausted so long as humanity like sheep wanders and needs guidance and so long as they learn to find it in God, their shepherd. Isn't that true? I can't tell you, and I'm sure Pastor Chris would agree with me, I can't tell you the amount of funerals that I've done where this psalm has been the psalm for the, for the, the liturgy. There's a place in our, in our liturgy, in our funeral liturgy, for, for a psalm. And just if you're wondering, one of these days, Pastor, Pastor Chris and I will do a whole thing around, it should be funerals, not celebrations of life, Right? Yeah, we have a whole liturgy for that. The reason why is because we need words. We need words. You might think that, oh, you'll have words, it will be fine. But no, how many of you have often found times in which you don't know what to pray? You don't know how to pray. You don't know the things that you should say. Well, this psalm comes to us, especially at times like funerals, right, as a words of comfort, of peace, of, of uh, solace in the most worst times of our lives, in times of fear and grief and loss. I almost wanted to just get up here, read the text to you again, say thanks be to God, drop the mic and sit down. But you can't be that lucky this morning. You have to listen to me for a little bit longer. But at, at Open Hearth, uh, our youth group on Sunday nights, we've been playing this little game called Psalm Roulette where I have a random number generator on my, on my phone. Uh, I put in numbers 1 through 150, and then Charlie tells me how many times I need to press the button. Right, Charlie? Yeah. And it comes up with a particular number of a psalm. And then we take that psalm, we open up the Bible, and we try to see how we can make it our own. Number one, to see what the psalmist is saying to us. But the psalms are there to be prayers to be words in our mouths to God as well as words from God to us. That's supposed to be the Psalter. That is supposed to be what is, is given to us. And, and it is there expressly because we need words to put our emotions before God often. And you can't read this psalm without it becoming personal. You can't. It's impossible. Because the amount of personal pronouns in it is amazing. Did you notice when we read it, right? Uh, first person pronouns, six times is the word my. Four times me. Or uh, four times I, seven times me. And, and although it, it opens and closes with talking about God in the third person, that whole middle part, is second person pronouns, right? 
talking to God. You restore your namesake. You are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table. You anoint me. It's a relational psalm speaking to God. So there's no way that this little, little tiny little prayer cannot become yours. So I commend that to you as we, as we dig a little bit into this this morning. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. Church, when you say that, you're saying you have a shepherd. You're also saying you're a sheep. But that's a sermon for another time. Sheep are dumb, by the way, just if you're wondering. But this is a shepherd. You, you have a shepherd. He is yours. He calls you by name, as John 10 says. You have a shepherd who does shepherdy things for you. He leads you to green pastures and still waters. He provides for you daily and abundantly because without the shepherd, it wouldn't go well with the sheep. We all know that. It wouldn't go well with us. He, he has, as a shepherd, you have a, a desire to care for the animals that, that are your responsibility, and so too it is with God. It's just like in John 10, as your shepherd, he is the one who leads you to salvation, leads you into the better place. Here in Psalm 23, those green pastures, those, those pure drinking waters, pictures of life and wholeness for you. He brings you out of the prison of your loneliness, of those walls that close you in, walls that others have built around you to think they are protecting you when the reality is that all the sheep rustlers are just jumping over them and tormenting, trying to steal you away. But as the true shepherd of your souls, Jesus Christ, who has spoken your name all your life, spoken into your ears, and he calls you to himself. You want to know how I know this? You could have done anything this morning. Anything at all. You could be on a hike. You could be at home playing video games. You could be doing a lot of things. But for some reason, you got up this morning, got dressed, got in your car, drove here, parked in the parking lot, got out of your car, walked in here, and took your seat. And now you're listening to me. You could have done anything else. But you're here not because you decided, but because Jesus has been calling your name all your life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. We say that of him as our shepherd, that because of his shepherding, we are not in want. We lack nothing, meaning that things we need for this body and life, he provides for us. His taking us to those green pastures and still waters should be enough. But let me ask you, church, based on our world, do we confess that is true? Is that true of our culture? Is that true of our society that we have all we need? Let me just give you an example. New cars. And, and I, I beg the pardon of all the engineers in the room. But auto companies come out with a new car, a new version of the old version every year. Why? Because they want to try and get you to think that this new car is better than the old one and that you need the new one because the old one is just not the same anymore. You have to have the new one. Even though they only change like two or three things, right? They might, they might add a little bit of a curve to the dashboard. They might offer it in a new color, right? Because we always want that new color, right? Or maybe, they, maybe it's heated cup holders because they've made everything else be able to be heated or air conditioning, like, like the seats, 
the, the steering wheel, you know, whatever. Now, now heated cup holders, maybe. Maybe it comes with a crock pot built in. You know, who knows? The point being that they're wanting to tell you the old thing wasn't enough for you. Right? We were talking about it last night, how there's a whole generation now that has no clue how to back up a car without a camera. Right? Or, or even better, uh, when I bought my, my, my Subaru Forester, which is in Minnesota right now with Liesl, um, it came with this thing called EyeSight Technology. It's got the little cameras up there, and you can do the variable cruise control, right? Which I never knew I needed. You know, it used to be that you just turn on the cruise control and you're good. But the variable cruise control, you turn it on, and, and you're, you're cruising along on the freeway going 70, 80, 90, I don't know. Um, and it, the cameras find the car in front of you, and if that car slows down, you slow down and keep a safe distance between that. Basically, it's built for stupid people. It's built for people who want to text while driving. Is basically what it, I'm not kidding. That's what it's built for. Well, what they don't tell you is that, never mind the fact that if you're driving from Vegas back to Ridgecrest and the sun's going down, the sun's shining in the eyes of the camera, cameras don't work, which means you don't get cruise control, which that's a lot of fun on 15, just if you're wondering. Or if you're in Minnesota and it happens to be raining or snowing, yeah, it doesn't work then either. So it's a wonderful thing when it works, right? But the idea being that it's not just new cars, it's everything. Our society is built to tell you that this psalm is not true. It wants to deny this first line that, number one, you have a shepherd and that you will not be in want. And so this word sometimes comes to us as a law to speak to us, to tell us, no, why are you going after all these other things? I mean, you're, you're, our hearts always want something more. That's the, the, I, the common idolatry that we have, where, where it leads us to something else every single day away from our shepherd. We want what's new. We want what's hip. We want what's special. Because I think maybe because if we, we think if we cling to that new thing, right, somehow we feel like maybe we won't die. Because it's new, right? Yay. And we want to be new. Deep down, we, though, we have that sense that uh, it's not going to fix it. And so we always need the next new thing. And then the next new thing. Which is why the whole next line in the psalm is necessary. He makes me lie down in a particular place. Why? Because God wants to say right now in this place that I'm going to make you lie down is where you need to lie down. He leads me to refreshing streams. Why? Because I need to be refreshed. He restores my life or my soul because everything around me is a burden to it, telling me I am not enough, that he is not enough, that I need more, I need better, I need newer. And so then we get this line. I wonder how those new things, that new car will help us with this. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because hmm? how many of you have made that trek through the valley of the shadow of death? Or through the darkest valley, depending on the translation? 
where you think that in the valley everything's going to be green and it's going to be special and it's going to be fun and, and, and wonderful, but then the sun goes down behind the mountains and it starts to get cold. It starts to get dark. And you need someone to be your shield, to be your shelter. Because that sun, oftentimes we use this phrase, right? The sun is setting on our lives. That sun setting, that darkest valley, the sign of life coming to an end. And we need someone who is our life to come alongside us. So we need that one to come and hold us, to lead us out of that valley to the mountaintop that is Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem, where death will be no more. And that is our God, church. Our fears subside as we hear his voice more and more, as we read the word, as we have a preacher come to us to speak to us of the living, risen Jesus who defeated death. That is our God. That is our life. Because when the shadows of our demise begin to creep upon us, we fear nothing because why? What do we say? You are with me. What a word, church. You will fear. You will be afraid of something. Uh, You could be terrified of what seems like the most lonely and difficult points in your life. And yet this word stands true for you. This word is there for you. This, This prayer is there for you. You are with me, God. You are with me can say it over and over and over again. Through the worst of all times, when I feel like all is lost, there you are, God, with me. Why? Well, if we want to get all Holy Week Eastery, you didn't despise the cross. You chose that suffering, that pain. You embraced it like a friend for my sake. So how could I ever imagine that the worst of all times in my life, that you would not be with me, Jesus. I was with you in my sins on that day at Calvary, Jesus, so you are with me now here in the worst day of days. Church, in the times when you may have wished uh, for your own death, maybe, things have gone that far south. Because maybe you thought that suicide or, or something like it would be better than this. Yet here in that dark valley, this, this valley with death's shadow beating down on you, there God is leading you. He's guiding you. Using his staff maybe to knock you about a bit. That might hurt. But that staff is also used to pull you from little crevices and holes that you throw yourself into to pull you up from death. But he also uses it to beat back the wolves and the lions that come to devour you. Oftentimes what we see as discipline or see as not love is actually God comforting us because he knows best because we're that cat on the leash, right? That needs to be led somewhere. Well, all of this leads to this last verse that I've been, that I highlighted at the beginning. Goodness and mercy. A table of peace in the presence of war. A feast that proclaims this peace into my life in the midst of my enemies. 
For you have set a table in the midst of my enemies. Anybody want to eat with their enemies? It might be a little dangerous, right? But I love those two words, goodness and mercy. But even more than that, there's a word that's right before it. It's a very emphatic word. And we translate it often, surely, right? Not the name, surely. The word, surely. It is this emphatic word that means because I have a shepherd, Because I am his sheep, because of all his shepherding, I am certain, I am certain that goodness and mercy shall follow me all my days and I shall dwell in his house forever. Our society doesn't like certainty. We like gray areas, right? We don't, anybody that's certain about something, we, we usually want to knock them down. But here, we can't let that go. Because of his shepherding, we know that goodness and mercy will follow us. Goodness or pleasantness or excellence. That which is good for me shall follow me because my shepherd is good. That's it. That goodness will come. Mercy, or translated in the, in the King James, this is for Desiree, loving kindness. I love that word. Because kindness is a good word, right? We like kindness, right? But loving kindness means it's not just kindness to be kind. It's kindness that is attached to a love for you. The word actually can mean a zeal for you, that God is jealous for you and he doesn't want to share you with any other shepherds. We often also translate it mercy, and mercy is a foreign word to our society. It is not our natural expression. We are justice-based creatures. We want righteousness. We want our pound of flesh, right? We, we, we tend to add that to our understanding of repentance. Repentance means to feel very, very sorry and crawl on your hands and knees over broken glass to make sure that you know that we feel really, really bad over that thing that we did, even though most of us are like the two-year-old that we have to tell to say sorry. Say sorry. Sorry. Well, you didn't mean that. Of course I didn't. You told me to say it. Right? We want justice. We want righteousness. We like revenge. But God is this one who's, de- who's described as a God of mercy, a God of loving kindness, a God of not giving us what we do deserve. That's what the word means. And this is what follows us, this zeal for us, this passion for you that he gives you in Jesus. And we clear it in this psalm with all the leading, with all the guiding, the restoring, the comforting, the calling us out as his own and making us to dwell with him. That's God's mercy, God's loving kindness. So you may seek other things, but it changes nothing for Jesus or, or God. You may be enticed by those thieves and those robbers, those, those fake shepherds that show up that try to lead you away, the ones who come to, to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But our shepherd is one who brings this abundant life to us, and he will call us by name. And we will follow him eventually if we're not doing it already. Church, this psalm should not be an anachronism. It shouldn't be something left to past generations. It is a sermon given to you by David to hand you Jesus. A thousand years before Bethlehem and Calvary, as he puts pen to parchment, David knew the psalm was needed because he knew the truth. 
of our brokenness. He knew that we are lost without our shepherd to come to us, and so he gifts you these words to be your consolation. So, beloved, you have a shepherd. He supplies all your needs. He leads you out, calling you each by name, and he restores you to life even in your death. He melts your fears away as he walks alongside you, even in the dark, and brings you to the light of his kingdom. He brings you peace and goodness and mercy, all so that you might dwell with him forever. And he does it every day, because every day we need it. So he's been speaking to you this morning to assure you of these things. So here are these words that are yours. Put them into your ears, but also put them on your tongues that they might be your word to him and his word to you. He is risen. He is risen. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Let us-